Hello, friends. Thanks for tuning in. This episode of the podcast is with my brother-in-law, Josh Roloff. Josh is a super interesting guy who is the director of uh, the nonprofit Restoration Now Global, and they do all kinds of stuff like uh, water filtration systems for people in Honduras, and then they even back in Fort Collins, they fix homes here. You'll hear us talk all about it. But I wanted to jump in here because at the beginning of the podcast, I talk about how we usually do real estate and this is sort of a divergence in a new direction that we're going. And that's because this episode originally aired on my real estate podcast, which is the Fort Collins Real Estate Ramp Up podcast. But um, I also wanted to put it on this new podcast I'm doing called RJ's Fort Collins podcast, where we are not going to be talking about real estate. We're going to be talking about just interviewing interesting people doing cool things and most of them are going to be in Fort Collins, but we might branch out a little bit. But that's kind of the format of this podcast, sort of all over the place, shooting the breeze with cool people. And hopefully you enjoy the format and want to keep listening. So without further ado, here's Josh Roloff. All right. We're going to, this is take two. The first, the first time we got into our conversation, we were not recording. We're just, oh, new, yeah. we're new at this podcast thing. All right. This is uh, podcast episode number six. Gray Rock Realty, Fort Collins Ramp, Real Estate Ramp Up podcast. But today we're not talking about real estate. Well, a different type of real estate, really. Yeah. Um, we got Josh Roloff in the studio today. JR to you. It's JR to me. Thanks uh, for having me, RJ. Yeah, man. It's good. good. It's good to have you here. I like this space. Talking about doing this for a long time. Yeah, right here in Old Town Square, little our little office. Um, so... We do a lot of real estate podcasts, as some people that listen to this know, but today uh, we're going to talk to the founder of Restoration Now, co-founder. Co-founder. Sorry. Co-founder. We have an executive director. What is it director. called when you have more than two co-founders? I don't know. Tri-founder? Tri-founders. Yeah. yeah. That sounds right. Yeah. My beautiful wife, Nicole, and, uh, and uh, Scott Lowe. Yeah. So... We want to do some real estate podcasting. We also want to talk to local business owners. I mean, there's so many awesome people in this town that are doing some amazing things, not least of which is my brother-in-law, Josh Roloff, um, with Restoration Now. And so we were just actually at Lucky Joe's having a pint, and we were having a great conversation. I was like, this is the kind of stuff that I love to hear people talking about on podcasts, and we should do one. So that's why we're here. We're doing one. It's awesome. Well. Thanks for putting this together. Yeah, man. Well, let's, you know, for people that don't know anything about you, let's kind of start from the beginning and talk about how you guys, you know, you have done everything from fixing, you know, people's homes in Fort Collins and, you know, everywhere from Old Town to trailer parks on, you know, Harmony to Mulberry, and then you go overseas and... You've been to Tacloban, Philippines. You've been to Honduras. Where else have you been? Uh, Central African Republic was a water project there. Um, Rwanda. We almost moved to Rwanda. That was amazing land. Uh, Uganda, anywhere from Kigali all the way up to the border in Lira. Okay. And uh, that was cool. That was working with um, Zambikes doing bicycle-powered ambulance trailers in rural Africa wow. to reduce infant and, mortal, infant and uh, maternal uh, mortality rates by hauling people with the mechanized, yeah. Because they could, ambulances couldn't cover the same ground no, that just, these bike trailers just, could cover? No, cars could really get, like where these were at, like you needed a land cruiser to get into, and they're, yeah, it's not an option right. in those places. So yeah, some... Uh, some, some beautiful parts of the world, uh, poker in Nepal. Uh, yeah. So I always, I always find the hotspots. Let's back up to, to the Zambikes thing. And how did that work? Like you're a guy that lives in Fort Collins. Yeah. How do you go from a guy that lives in Fort Collins that, that renovates homes for profit to going to Zambia and helping people you know, affix trailers to bamboo bicycles to ride people to the nearest hospital. How does that look? What does it look like? You know, I, I'm trying to think how I learned about these guys. <laughs> I'm really struggling. You don't even know. I, I, some friends, uh, the Kilgallons in Winter Park, they, um, 
they had told me about these guys years before from some fundraiser they went to in Denver, but how I found it, how I connected with them, I don't really remember. I remember finding them. They were, oh, they were at the NABS, the North American Bike uh, Conference in Denver or whatever it's called. I started researching them, and then my son at the time was maybe all he was like five six and we started just like geeking out on all these videos of them building bikes in zambia and then doing all this work in uganda and i think i just called the guy i think i just called the director saying hey was is there this, anything i can do from my side we have a lot of bike industry here was this funk uh funk daryl funk out of denver no i ended up connecting with him later but no was, uh uh dustin out of he 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 started this thing out of like a project for school in California. Okay. Um, and then took it to Zambia and started this company building bikes to their, their motto or their, they were trying to change Africa one bike at a time. So they named their company a Kerfa, which was Africa backwards. Okay. So they were trying to like mix it up. Really <laughs> cool. Really cool. So I, I spent some time with them and then Daryl Funk, obviously with Funk Cycles. Yeah. Who's there now, I believe he's now their director. Okay. And genius bike builder. Yeah. And local Colorado dude. And um, he's teaching guys there how to weld and build these frames for ambulance trailers. It's awesome. Yeah. There's really like, it, there's some amazing stuff going on. And a, and a lot of roots from Colorado. Yeah. So you got connected with these guys, you went over and like, what, what did it actually look like to go over there? Like you just spent money out of your own pocket. Did you raise money? And then what did you actually do when you got over there? I, I think I had some people that were, um, through the restoration now community Okay. that knew that I had this yearning to do something more than just right here. Okay. And they trusted or believed in me and they couldn't quite make it all make sense. But they loved the concepts and the exploration and they wanted to be a part of it. And not everybody is willing to just jump on a plane. I learned, I think it's yeah. great. It's no, fun you're just you're to definitely like, willing to do that. Read, you know, you, you read a book on the plane and just hang out and people bring you stuff when you hit a button. <laughs> yeah. Ollie loves that on flights. Ollie and Noel love that on yeah. long flights to Tokyo. Like you just hit this button. Somebody brings you like whatever you want to drink or eat. Sure. Or a blanket. Yeah. So flights are, yeah, it's great, you know, and, and then just to hang out in different cultures and yeah, it's, there's some scary aspect, but really getting to the airport on 25 is scarier than hanging out at places deemed, you know, murder capital of the world. Like they call Honduras and like, uh, it's scarier getting to the airport than being in Honduras, you know? Right. So, um, yeah. So funding was always, uh, you know, I would, it's always interesting. There's people that believe in what you're doing and um, if you, you know, and they like to be involved with it. Yeah. Um, and there's always more money to be made. You can figure that out later. What do you mean? Well, I mean, you know, there's, what is it Bono said? You know, it's like the God I serve ain't short of cash, mister. You know? <laughs> right. And that's kind of liberating when you take your risks like this. It's like, you know, I've done remodeling. I can always go and fix somebody's house if I need a side hustle right i don't want to be but yeah um it you know there's opportunities out there and we have a lot of opportunities yeah. here especially in fort mayberry yeah you know it's plenty here right plenty of talents plenty of resources and i and i found that people like to you know invest in other parts of the world or just in their backyard through our early years of restoration now well that's a cool thing that i've noticed from watching you over the years is like you'll you'll find a project, be it here in town or overseas. And it's not like you're waiting to like figure out if it's, you know, if you can raise the right amount of money or get another enough people on board, you just go do it. And yeah. that's, uh, I think that's, you know, cause it's with a lot of projects that people have and a lot of aspirations, man, it's easy to, it's really easy to think about stuff and talk about stuff, but doing it is a whole nother thing. And so it's really, I've always been admired that about you that you're just like jump in and get on a plane and go do it. And, uh, well, that's, man, that means a lot so coming many... from a small business owner himself here that you moved out here a little earlier than you were going to, because my son was born earlier than he was 
supposed to. That's right. And you said, heck, we're coming out here sooner. And then you took yeah. some risks. Yeah. Yeah. It's... Yeah. We're all from the Midwest and Josh and my sister moved out here first. And then my wife and I followed and my wife's brother followed and her other brother followed and our parents. And grandparents too. Grandparents. And that's kind of a cool thing about Fort Collins is it just seems to draw, you know, it's like with one person in a family unit comes out and then other people come and visit them they're like man i gotta I got live here it's such a great place so that's yeah i hear that story a lot but um so you've done a whole bunch of different things like that i mean how how long ago was that that you were doing zam bikes uh that was in gosh well i think i had stepped away from being director okay of restoration now um so 2000 oh it was it was 2013 okay and we were doing just some local campaigns here and helping them redesign the canopy for like cultural sensitivities okay for for the zambulance trailer system um because if you lay down in like a trailer and put a big canvas like with a frame of course it's like a like a burly kids trailer only on steroids right yeah and, and it could be pulled behind a motorbike, too, so it's pretty sturdy. Okay. Okay, so... And they were doing a lot of that. They were pulling a lot of these ambulances on motorcycles, right? Um, some there. We tried to introduce it, too, in the Philippines. I was working on a project there with, uh, uh, for a community center build, and, and Daryl and I were trying to figure out how to make this go in the Philippines, and that's a very motorbike popular area. Um, but the transportation and the roads there are a little better than rural Africa, so they are we're honing in more on africa okay more pedal bikes and a lot of people were hung up on it because if you were to pull one of these they're pretty heavy you know it's steel right and the bikes are heavy and you're on a dirt you're on, on a like dirt right up road but if you go there and hang out then a lot of those arguments go away because people are pushing their bikes hauling stuff wood they're just for fires so much more in shape and and they... if you see some somebody being pushed on one of these or somebody trying to get to help because they're pregnant and distressed then everybody in the village comes out and helps push this thing it's not you're not always pedaling yeah and people were like oh this thing's so heavy i don't understand how this works yeah i was like well go there (laughs) right a bike is not necessarily for riding it's to haul stuff with huh and yeah so it's it was a great thing so they'll sometimes if the bike's too loaded down they'll just be walking the bike oh yeah yeah Yeah, you're you're, yeah absolutely or they're it's not even meant to ride yeah some of them don't even have seats this is rural africa (laughs) (laughs) you you know you'll have four people on a bike the seat just gets in the way yeah (laughs) so yeah it's it's very utility you know right um, so we were helping doing some work here for some prototypes for their marketing here to fundraise to get more of these into clinics okay through um a lot of other ngos in in africa so you were doing that and then at the same time also doing projects here in Fort Collins. Like talk to us about those kind of projects. I mean, I, you know, I worked on some of those with you. Sure. And it's just, it's really interesting to see like a town like Fort Collins, super affluent, mm. best place to live in the world, blah, 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 gets written up all the time. Mm-hmm. And then you have, you know, obviously parts of town that people need help. Right. So... What did that look like to jump in on those? Like- well, and it was, just, it was a hard selling point at first for funding. It's like, oh, you live in Fort Collins. Why would we? I mean, I, w- I was fundraising for a lot of these projects and just like our admin and staff and salary out of places that had a lot of need, even more, like in the South. You, okay, you were fundraising? For Restoration Now. Okay. Talking to people that lived in the South. Right, just and they're some like, contacts. We have it worse here right. than you do have in Fort Collins. Correct. Okay. Right. Um, and but but you had to explain to them that like underneath this like great city, there's a there's there's the layer, and underneath that, there's still people in need. There's people in need anywhere you go. Yeah. Uh, a lot of underserved people. It doesn't take much. In fact, it, it, you know, in a place where the cost of living is higher and it's gone up higher. Um, with real estate prices and people wanting to be here, there's that 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 gap grows. Yeah, they struggle even people struggling mm-hmm. even more. Yep. So as cost of living goes up, as certain areas get bought and developed, and it pushes 
people out, then they've lost their homes. Yeah. And, and then we also found that nobody, uh, I shouldn't say nobody, a lot of other nonprofits wouldn't work on mobile homes because there's no value to them. Right. There really isn't. And we, fact, we would talk to funders and they would be like, we want to do projects on houses. Like we want to build like a, a nice new house. And I always would tell people that you were basically, um, what is it called? Uh, the organization that builds brand new construction. Oh, Habitat. Habitat. Habitat, You're kind sure. of like Habitat for Humanity for existing, like right. for Except trailers. For, right. Grassroots, smaller, and remodels. Yeah. Um, you know, there was a couple new construction, a couple little commercial things we did. But yeah, for the most part, it was always residential and a lot of, a lot of mobile home parks. Yeah. And, and what we found is like these, you know, these people had real needs and, and, and the, really the, um, the thing that struck me most when we, the first few projects we did, whether it was in a freestanding home that they own the land and ever, you know, the whole bit, and it was a, an actual stick frame structure versus a mobile home was that when we brought volunteers in to help, um, when we brought resources like Home Depot or, or Advanced Interiors, no, no matter who it was, that Uncle Benny's, whenever they gave us materials, it brought, we were elevating these people's lives, but we were also elevating the givers. They were donating their time, their resources, their talents. And, and that really started to, to change my uh, mentality of the whole thing. Is this is a massive endeavor. Like, it's not just about pounding some nails. It was, building into people's homes and not just into their homes, but into their personal lives. And it gave opportunity for community members like you, 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 I remember on one project, you, you would come out on a lot of projects. Um, and, and you would sit with people. There was this one guy, you probably remember him as a, he was a Vietnam vet and just didn't have any family around as much as I could tell. His home had needs, and we were working on a roof. We were replacing some windows to make his home more efficient, save on electric bills and gas bills. And I think you just, like, pretty much the whole time sat on the porch with the guy while he chain-smoked, and you hung out with the guy. <laughs> right. And that's what it was about. That's It was yeah. giving our community an opportunity to um, just get to know each other. Yeah. And, and, that, and that was, uh, you know, that's what I was impressed with. What wasn't what I was doing or, you know, Scott and Nicole and I and Restoration Now board. It was about the volunteers that would come out. Yeah. And that yeah, was really the avenue. We were just a bridge. And we were just giving people, we were an inroad. Right. To these, to these needs. And this is great. It's a great community. And people want it. There's a lot of resources here. And a lot of people that care about things in life that have, substance and that's community yeah that's why Fort Collins that's why Old Town now all of it costs so much <laughs> it's because it's a community you're just very much in each other's business and you can ride your bike around you know what we were just hanging out and my son and his friend were bouncing in and out of Lucky Joe's running around Old Town Square with animals they got out of a bear claw at Pinball Jones right. that's fun stuff yeah but, you know, there's also uh, the sad side of it, too, and it doesn't have to be. We can invest in our community here through these projects and Yeah, take care of each other. And I think there's so many people that want to help. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I think the hard thing is just, like, telling people about these needs and these projects. You know, that was a really hard thing. I remember uh, we would do projects, and the, the people that knew about it and showed up, you know, would get so much out of it. And the way that you would be able to source materials from, you know, Home Depot and what was the lumber supply? Oh, yeah. Uncle Benny's, Uncle Benny's. Uh, resource, which is now the bike co-op. They're gone. Right. They were amazing. I mean, you would just like go and walk into like these places and tell them what you were doing. And I mean, I remember you would do, we would be doing significant remodels tearing out rotten floors on trailers mm -hmm. and painting the entire place, replacing the roof, 
you know, putting in a brand new bathroom. And I remember like the cost of the materials would be like 1500 bucks or something like that. Yeah. And that was, yeah, yeah that's just a great thing. Like we start to tell people about what you're doing, how many people kick in and that was amazing. Yeah. We're about ready to, as soon as it stops raining, we're about ready to do a big concrete pour for, um, an 80, uh, a ADA, um, compliant need. Yeah. So that somebody has egress, they're in a wheelchair and we have to build like a little deck. And then we got a $5,000 lift donated from frontier acts, uh, frontier mobility. Wow. And then the concrete guy I've used for years and I pass him around all the time to all my friends to use Robo brothers, Fernando Robles. He's, he's donating all of his, all the labor. And then Level and Ready Mix is going to donate all the material. That's super cool. And then we've got a bunch of people that need community service hours that are going to jump in and out. <laughs> awesome. You know, like people that have done some things wrong and they need help yeah. through community service. And like the lift was lacking a few panels for safety. So we're going to teach some kids how to TIG weld aluminum. And then they learn how to weld and it's going to go to solve the problem. Then we've educated some people and how to do a skill that they want to learn how to do. Yeah. And that, that can only happen in a community that's like, I don't know, that's gets engaged in their own mess. Right. And so I guess I like to say we kind of expose the mess, but with dignity, that's a big thing. Like people aren't projects. You know, these people are awesome people in our culture. They just need some help. We all do. That's why we're here. Yeah. You know, you and I, we've been given a lot. Like we went to the same school, <laughs> yeah. college prep school. Like, right. you know, our, my best friend drove a Porsche. I drove a truck with a gun rack, lived in the sticks. But, you know, like we've been given a lot of stuff. So I, it's, we yeah. Gotta, you talk to a lot of like homeless people around town. And like, I feel like many of them say, you know, I, I was like you. Like, I remember being like you. Yeah. Which is like, a, you know guy with a house and a job right. and right. Then I had this and this happened to me and now I am where I am. Yeah. So it, it's super humbling to talk to those people and understand, you know, that they're not, they're not that far away. It's not always like. Right. And with cost of living, just in general, as it rises, we're just like not too many moves away from. Right. Being in trouble. Right. Yeah. If you don't own a house <laughs> and you know, Rent's getting kicked up on you. So, you know, like when we were doing work on the mobile home parks, we could go into a home, we figured, or we, we, we can go into a home for a couple hundred bucks and winterize it. When these, a lot of these homes are so draft and their pipes freeze. Yeah. So they got to crank the heat and it's, you know, so if we can reduce their gas bill and, and make it a, a little bit more, what, what do you call it, quote unquote, greener home as much as you can. Yeah. But then we reduce those costs and then, um, then they can afford to pay for other services that tax the system right? or keep them. They can afford their lot rent. Cause it's a, it's a lot of people that, that are in mobile home. I mean, they, they don't own the land, they own the home. Right. And a lot of those mobile home spaces are going for like 800 a month. If, yeah. If not more. And that's jumped. It was what in 2005 when we like, started doing this, it was like, Four to five hundred, yeah. And now it's that, and it's that's not they can't go on <laughs> too much longer yeah. if their home has all these other issues, right? Um, so yeah, that was. So, what does that look like? You guys basically just said, um, I mean, we're, this is what we do. We're restoration now. We're, we fix mm-hmm. homes in Fort Collins and surrounding areas. You got hooked up with. Uh, was it three one one or two one one? Two one one. It's the number you call when you need help with. Yeah. So there's a, a num- lot of things. Right. And so people would, like your cell phone would ring, and people would say, "I oh yeah, like I my pipes broke, and I'm in a bad spot, and I need help." Right. So how, <laughs> what did that look? Well, two one one has a lot of cool programs out of that, like like emergency funding for like a water heater blowing or a furnace, and but there was this gap that was needing to be filled and. And two one one is through United Way, and um, awesome services. But they they really latched on to what we were doing because it was a gap that needed to be filled. So so what what was the gap? Um, 
just like, well, like leaking roofs or like somebody would, they would call me and say like, um, there's something wrong with our carpet. There's a hole. And I'm like, I go over there and it's like, well, there's a raccoon living underneath here, you know, like there's a hole because the floor fell through and the carpet has made it. So you haven't. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So, okay. All right. We can fix that. But like, why is there a hole there? Well, the, the roof's leaking and it's leaking through the membrane and then down through like a light socket. So that's, it's more than just so fixing the hole. <laughs> no, it's never. No, dripping light fixtures never a good thing. Yeah. So we would get, you know, we draw the line at some point of not just having volunteers that were unskilled. We would bring in skilled volunteers. And that's, and that's the, our path right now is to continue with is to have people in the community that some, uh, you know, a lot of business owners that want to give back that we can utilize them. But really, once again, we were kind of that bridge between the need and the service that needs to be provided. Um, and we didn't claim to be able to fix everything, but we would try to take care of the emergency issues first and, and then, um, but really engage the community in taking care of the need, yeah. not just us as an organization. Right. So yeah, like you said before, we were able to do this stuff on a, we can do it on a shoestring budget. Yeah. Like the example of the concrete pour coming up once it stops raining, which I love this rain. It's fantastic. Pretty nice. But um, it's, uh, gosh, I want to say probably $20,000 job we're about ready to do. And we're going to be able to do it for about maybe $1,800. Wow. Yeah. So, and that's just story after story. I mean, that's kind of your MO. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You've got to get scrappy with this stuff, you know? Yeah. And sure. If I had a million dollar budget, that'd be awesome. But you know what? I would still do it the same way. Yeah, absolutely. That's the, that's the, the great part of this, you know, is we can spread this money around, spread these resources around. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So let's talk about. So you, you've done that for a lot of years and recently you've been, you know, before that you, I mean, you've been all over doing all kinds of stuff, but you've also recently. Don't forget I employed you at, yes. the, at the lodge at the Minnesota border. That's true. Minnesota Back in the day, I gotta, I gotta give you a shout out. Two years you lived with Nicole and I and it's lived true. in a, a boathouse that we converted <laughs> into a, a shack to live in. And it's all true. Yeah. So we've done a lot together over the years. Yeah. yeah. Fish at night and evenings. Glow, and glow in the dark bobbers off the dock, catching right. walleye and rainbow trout. Hexagenia mayfly hatches on Birch Lake. Birch Lake, Gunflint Trail, Boundary Waters, Minnesota. Represent what? Ah, <laughs> oh, those are the days. So yeah, sold that place, moved out here. You guys followed. 2003, four. Framing houses with Greg Taylor and um, started a remodel business. And yeah, after being taken on a United Way bus tour by our <laughs> co-founder, uh, just exposed, exposed the whole thing to expose this whole city is an amazing city, but there's a lot of need. Yeah. And started just diving into a lot of these partner agencies of the United Way and um, they were, these partner agencies are doing amazing things, helping single moms, helping health issues go down the list. And, and they, um, but the, this housing issue was a massive gap Yeah, that we then started doing volunteer projects that turned into restoration. And, um, yeah, thanks to Scott and Nicole, like kept this whole thing on the tracks, you know? Right. And, uh, and you, you had a period of time where you went kind of back into like money got tight. You went back into remodeling houses, but you, like I could see it in your, in your eyes. You just had that, like you, I mean, it's hard to go from doing what you did and help, helping people in the way you did and then going back in the for-profit world, which right is, once you see it, it's always you, been easy you for know. you to like, I mean, you just kind of like people ask you to do work for them wherever you go because you're, really good at doing what you do sure it's and it's easy to make at least that's what they think it's easy to make (laughs) money that way oh yeah it's great money here it's awesome but it's uh but i I, I could always see it in your eyes that when you weren't doing that 
that nonprofit work, it was hard right. for you. Well, and I, and I had to kind of like self-evaluate some of that. Like I found, okay, so yeah, we stepped away from restoration now, stepped down from being director in 2012, um, I believe it was. So we were six years, seven years at it. And it was just time to give it a break. Yeah. And, and that's when I started making multiple trips to Africa, doing some water projects, um, with some really amazing NGOs and nonprofits out there. And that, and I, and I learned a lot. So I always wanted to do restoration now on an international level, but I didn't know what the heck I was talking about. Yeah. Like I had been to what, like Canada, Mexico, Taiwan, like to see my brother's family. And I hadn't done any of this stuff. Yeah. It's easy to sit around and think about it or talk about it, you know, or watch whatever videos on what people are doing. I don't know. But I just, I knew I needed a break. I knew the nonprofit probably needed a break from me because I was trying to figure out how to do it internationally and I didn't have the bandwidth to do both. But really it was just, I think probably better I left because I was able to explore and work with other leaders. Yeah, you did a lot just kind of on your own dime. Like you went to different places. You're like, I'm going... Yeah, going to this country right. this month and right, and I would call people up and be like, "Hey, we're I'm going here," and they'd be like, "Okay, well, I'll, I'll send you some money." I was like, "Oh, that's awesome! It covered a plane <laughs> yeah. ticket." And and then you know, Nicole would be like, "Well, how am I buying the kids' food?" I'm like, "Yeah, <laughs> we'll figure it out." <laughs> and I'm, yeah, she's very, uh, I'll, I don't, she gets it, very gracious to me. And we, the kids are doing great. You know, they're they, they're nine yeah. and twelve now, so they. They made it through, <laughs> but it really exposed me to how other people worked, um, what they were doing, what was a good fit, um, but really to have a, a, an education period like that, I wouldn't have done if I would have stayed on trying to do it myself, you know, looking back. Yeah. Like, why did you ever leave? Why didn't you just do that? Then? I, was like, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you got to step away and then. Right. You learned a ton and explored a bunch and then kind of came back to it. And now it's, it's global yeah. and, and local. Right. And it's a, so that's why it's called Restoration Now Global. Yeah. We're just, you're still doing projects here and then you're doing projects in Honduras. And t- talk a little bit about Honduras and like specifically like what the, what the environment is like down there mm. and like what the community centers are doing and talk, talk to people about that. Sure. Yeah. Honduras is one of the most beautiful places I've been. It's gorgeous. I mean, the coastlines, the Caribbean, the jungle, um, some of the most beautiful people. Um, they are just amazing people. Um, and I don't speak Spanish at all. <laughs> I, I grew up in our nice little prep. Doesn't matter. I grew up speaking French. You know, I, I, I took French. There was a Spanish option, but I took French because I just wanted to ski in Chamonix, France. And I wanted to know how to like, like buy, a, buy beer and, and buy a lift pass and get around. That's why I, I'm not kidding. That's why I took French. Well, I Wait, took it. How, how does this have anything to do with Honduras? Oh, because I wish I would have taken Spanish. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, but in high school, your, your sister would tutor me. And then she would be like, you're not trying to learn French at all. You're just over here to hang out with me. And I said, well, that's true. But um, <laughs> that's really the, um, yeah, probably between wanting to ski in Chamonix and, and, and then, you know, kiss your sister in oh high school. Oh, my gosh. I can't wait to go there. I, that's why I took French. I know. So. And we lived in St. Louis, so there's a lot of French connections there. That's right. So I have a past client who is French who lives in St. Louis. Really? Yeah. I was going to ask her if she knew Marty Harrell, but I never Oh, my gosh. Salt of the earth right there. Oh, yeah. She's awesome. So I, and yeah, the Montessori school I went to, you had to take French, even in preschool. Okay. Probably just because they had somebody on staff that was, anyway, doesn't matter. I did not take (laughs) Spanish. Okay. And it sure would be a lot more helpful. In places in Africa, it has been helpful to know a little French. Okay. And so I linked that back years later. Oh, maybe this is why I took French. Well, I'm not doing much 
in French-speaking Africa, right? Cir- circling back to Honduras. So Honduras, <laughs> I wish I knew Spanish. And my friends in Honduras, it'll be here in June, uh, June 22nd. We're doing a, a fundraiser at Ascent Climbing Studio. Okay. Um, awesome people there that are hosting this event with us to help build a climbing wall at a community center in Siwatapeque. It probably sound a lot different if I did speak Spanish, but that's what I've got. Um, they're going to be here and they're very gracious to me and they laugh at me and they think it's great that I try and I, that I try and speak Spanish. But, um, so yeah, we're working on two different projects alongside some amazing high caliber, beautiful people that have a vision for, um, really transforming their communities, their cities. Um, one is very urban, so it's central Honduras and Siwa Tepeque. We just call it Siwa. Um, mountainous around it. Um, it's an it's a urban site. And then there's also um, a, a site outside of La Ceiba in Salatran and a lot of new villages. A lot of new villages because population just keeps growing. And these guys have been doing some census work because the government doesn't even know who these people are or what the needs are. And most of the time, they don't have the bandwidth. You might say they don't care, but they just don't have the bandwidth to solve it. The government's a disaster. It's the, the economy down there is a disaster. But the people that I've spent time with that are wanting to bring change to these villages who are amazing, beautiful people are... They're, they're wanting to see things change. And that, yes, the climate there right now, I'm not talking about weather. The, the political climate is it's rough. There's, that's where the caravan movement started, you, you know, if you follow that at all. What is that? The caravan of just people trying to leave okay. because it's so, people, the desperation is so high. That people are willing to risk life to get out of there and even if they make it to Mexico, to like the Tijuana border, which is not Fort Collins, um, they get shut down or they get taken back. They're, they're willing just to do anything to leave. Are they better off in Mexico? Yes, because there's more jobs. Okay. It's closer to us. There's more jobs. Um, but recently, um, the U.S. government, I'm not going to get political here, but the U.S. government has shut off all aid um, to... Honduras, Guatemala, and Mexico. And a lot of it is in conjunction with, as far as I can tell, with the caravan movement. People just trying to. So I believe that the resources and energy and the work, um, some, I don't know if you call it work, the resources and energy that I'm trying to pour in, Restoration Now is trying to pour in with our community here is to help eliminate and relieve some of that desperation. So what is that like? Let's get granular. Like yeah, what does that go look on. like on the ground? On like, the ground. Like what are kids struggling with? Like you, you've told me a lot about Gosh. Like, what is it like to be a kid in Honduras? You have like, you don't have a lot of options. Right. So how are you guys remedying that? Sure. Um, so the, the site in Salatron, which is outside of La Ceiba, um, which is a very rural area. Um, if you have kids listening to this, I'll, it might be a little graphic. I'll try and keep it PG-13 rated, but um, nothing my kids haven't heard of. So I have a nine-year-old, your niece, you know, beautiful little Magnolia, is nine. If you were to ask her what she wants to do with her life, she would tell you she wants to live in Fort Collins. She wants to go to CSU. She wants to go to vet school and live with her good friend, Isla Jane, and, and have, you know, have three dogs and on and on and on. If you were to go to that same girl age in these villages, this isn't true for all of Honduras. I will say that. This weird thing in this area. Okay. If you were to go to somebody her age, and ask her the same question, it would be a blank stare. There's like no idea what that means to like project my future and not that... just not just like I don't know what my future is going to be, but 
it's more of like a are you kidding me i have options like what are you talking about there's no opportunity there's no opportunity those are dreams that nola has like you just don't have those dreams in fact it's it's worse than that it's they know that potentially probably they will be and it's almost consensual everybody knows it's happening on some level they'll be raped and become property of whoever performs that act and these are young girls and the and the guys that are doing it are young often not always but oft, often they're young mm. and it's just kind of the norm and no and nothing's being done about it there's no economy and these guys have no commitment after this happens. Child being born or not. Sure. And it just becomes like this power play because the guys don't have much future either. So the people that we're working with down there, I'll right now uh, leave them unnamed, but they're wanting to change that. They're wanting to have a, have a future with these kids having you know uh, a different story they're pouring their lives in yeah and and so to know that those things just like you when you experience when you experience projects here we work like once you know they're there you got to do something about it. right so talk about these guys like tell me about my them. friends down I mean, there that are doing this work yeah like not like names high but high yeah like like they're, they don't even really fit in because they've been educated. They're, they were, they've gone to college in, Honduras, in Costa Rica. They have master's degrees. They've, even though one is Honduran, one's Costa Rican, they, and they, and they do speak Spanish. But they like, you know, they've, they've had education and they've had, they have a, like a home. They, they stand apart. So they're trying to um, build into the lives there slowly, which works with us because we're bringing resources slowly. But first thing is they're doing like a census to try and figure out. And, and even though the gentleman who owns the land, he's, it's his family's land. They've been there forever. They, there's still differences like culturally. There's still a gap. So they're trying to build into their lives by caring for them. So they're doing like after school tutoring programs to help them with their education. So they might, the norm is like third, fourth grade down there to finish. That's it. That's all you're going to do. Okay. If you go into a schoolroom, one, one room schoolhouse, it's first through sixth grade. And the desks are all in rows. And it's one guy, like a 25-year-old teacher, that gets paid jack squat. And he's left to educate these kids. So that's, and he has to commute. But he's worn out. So... The people we're working with down there are investing in that school to get to know the kids. Well, the school doesn't have running water, doesn't have, there's all the cinder blocks sitting there for a bathroom, but it hasn't been built been that way for a year since I've been down there. And this teacher's doing what he can, but these guys I'm working with are trying to like help him to start with doing after school programs. So these kids can do their homework and then also doing health screens, figuring out like basic health issues, diabetes, malaria. People just think it's normal to be completely chewed up by mosquitoes down. Wow. So, and to have diarrhea all the time, that's normal. They don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, I come back from some of these trips and I'm, <laughs> I'm chewed up and I've got diarrhea. <laughs> I know there's what caused it and what's wrong <laughs> right. with me. And I can go get some Cipro or whatever, yeah. you know, like this is just the norm. So the guys that you're working with are basically like setting up after school programs. Right. And the guy that has the land, talk a little bit about like for people that have no idea. Oh yeah. The right. Context of this, like talk about the plot of land you guys have and what, what he's trying to do and what you're trying to do with him. So, right. It's this big, it's a fairly good sized piece of land. I can't remember the acreage, 15 acres, um, a couple kilometers off the coast. It's Deep in against, the jungle. Yeah. It's up against national park. There's waterfalls. It's absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. Absolutely. Beautiful, amazing. like clear running water. Yep. And, yep. Yeah. And so it doesn't take much to purify that. We can take a five gallon bucket, 
with a $25 Sawyer filter, um, a little shout out for Sawyer, um, for making these amazing products. It's just a hose line. You drill into the bottom of the, or the side of the bucket, and, and it lasts like thousands of gallons before you have to clean it. Not replace it, but clean it. And somebody gets sick off that because I said that. I don't know all the details there, but that's what I've been told. Um, so we can, we can come in and, and help provide that clean water and, and help build latrines and give running water to these homes because um, the, the waterfalls that are running through there are providing water to some villages, but it's not clean. I tested it when I was there, um, brought over water purification tests, and it's like 80% clean, which is that 20% is what gets you. Right. You know? Like if you go to REI and you get a if you, filter, if you drink it long enough, you're gonna get sick. You're gonna yeah, or just once. Yeah. Um, but the water flow is really high. So like volume wise, um, uh, you know, if you were to set your stopwatch and fill up a five gallon bucket coming out of a pipe, it's full in like a second. So I mean, it's like hundreds of gallons per minute, yeah. thousands of gallons per minute. Yeah. And I know that because we were trying to figure out a way to bring power for the, um, gosh, who has their Sorry. phone on That's in these bad things? bad form. Jeez. I, it's fine. I'm parched here too. So yeah, you need another beer. Um, gosh, you know, the, the opportunity there for like hydroelectric is ripe, you know, solar can work, but once again, like why? Like, okay, well, if you want kids to finish school um, past third grade, you know, like, and it gets dark at 630, you need some power. So you can do some, like, solar lights. We're looking into that. But a lot of these places, and same like in Africa where we worked, it's like people have a little kerosene lantern. They sit around and they try and read and do their homework. Yeah. Okay. Well, kerosene's really expensive. It's not great to get out of the ground environmentally and then you're you gotta you know like think about like your kid trying to read over a kerosene light right okay he's huffing all those fumes it's kind of a problem yeah so if we can bring in some small scale solar or hydro hydro in this case so we started messing around I was like what kind of stuff can we find laying around that we can produce some power so i said to my buddy it's like you know what do you think? He's like, well, what, what can we find that's spent? So we, anyways, long story short, we get, find an old BMX frame with one wheel, like perfect. Take it to my buddy's shop in La Ceiba. Uh, this guy, John Clow, he's been down there for years. Amazing guy and his family down there just building uh, all sorts of cool stuff. Medical clinic and a seminary and, and orphan care, like salt of the earth family. Um, but he, he has welding equipment. So he helped us kind of, he's like, this is great. Let's, let me help you guys. So we take this BMX frame, we put these fins on the rim. So it turns into a paddle wheel. <laughs> we, we scout out of some old, like flashing we find laying out behind his building. The whole point is like, anybody can bring down a hydropower deal, but like at what cost, you know? So we figure out, let's find, we can find laying around here. We attach a with a few other components, we attach a, a, a belt, a radiator belt to a stand with a tensioning strap with an old Toyota alternator on it and start trying to figure out how we can get power off of this. And it didn't work as well as we wanted it to. <laughs> but my buddy from down there, he's just like, dude, I don't have anybody to help me do this kind of stuff. Nobody... Everybody says, just hook up to the grid. Well, the grid's expensive and it runs off of gasoline. That's gross. I mean, it's just, that's what the grid is fired with in this area. It's, it's electric plants fired with nasty fuel. So, and it's really expensive to buy it and to bring it in. So we got to figure out a different solution. So then we took like an old wire spool, like you get cable from, you know, like, when they're stretching cable around town, we turn that into a trip. Then we got some good results like that. That spins fast. So now I'm trying to work with some students here that can learn some 
hydropower via electrical and mechanical engineering, learn some welding, bring it all back home here to Fort Collins. Yeah. And, and utilize the brains and the talents and, you know, and then, and then that'll help us go a little further when we're on the ground there trying to figure this stuff out. And there's a lot of, you know, people that are interested in helping do that here. And then it exposes people how to take care of needs on the other side of the world. Right. Um, and so for, for these guys in Honduras, they need to be able to help educate these kids. And part of that is like providing power, um, cell phones, as much as I hate cell phones, they're helping a lot of people, <laughs> you know, the communication and, and research and, and just, you can send money through cell phones, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and just giving people, and my son's going to probably think this is hilarious if he listens to it because I hate phones so much and I don't want him to have one. Some total hypocrite oh, here. Gosh, but you know the, the the reality is is like if you provide some of these basic resources that we don't even think about, bed nets. Well, we don't need bed nets. Well, you know, we had them in the Philippines, which is pretty helpful. And I get dengue fever. Yeah, for five bucks, you can keep a kid from getting malaria, and or or, or whatever dengue or chikungunya. Right. You know, it's like. Or give them clean water. Or give them some power so they can read. So you know? to bring it all like back together, like essentially you guys are going down there. There's a community center that you're building. And the community center essentially provides power, clean water, just a place for kids to hang out medical, after school. Medical. Medical screenings. And then we can help get um, them to the appropriate clinic. Just basic things we don't talk about just dental hygiene you know like that's dental health you know and and connects them with people that are like mentoring them and telling them that they do have a future and like here's the way forward and you don't like you know you don't have to experience the status quo right you know go into the sex trade or you know yeah yeah give them and 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 this, all this stuff, the after school tutoring, um, just getting to know people by doing, holding a health clinic, um, build street credit for them that they care, they're invested, they're, they are, you know, locals, even though they're just moving back there from being gone to Costa Rica, getting educated, whatever, you know, they're telling these people that they do care about them and they want to see change um, because you can't. You know, it doesn't matter where you are. You don't wait around for the government to do it. And that's what a lot of people do. And there's a lot of NGOs that have done a lot of amazing things, a lot of nonprofits, but they're also, they've, there's also a lot of handouts that have been given. And this is not that. This is investing in local people. Local people. Like exactly. All about like empowering kids and. Yeah. And to say there is something. Providing like kind of like the city on the hill where you come here and it's. You know, right. you have opportunity and it's a know, sanctuary. Yeah. This yeah. land is a sanctuary. They have a lot of land. They've been gifted a lot of land. And so they want to use, it. they yeah. want to be able to have medical clinics. They want to be able to have agricultural development. You know, um, the one organization I worked with in CA in Central African Republic was teaching people how to plant different crops that can help with immune, immune building. So like if you have AIDS or whatever it is, or just, um, just anything other than corn and rice, yeah. you know, that's just filler that's killing people, you know, it's like planting crops that are better for them, like animal husbandry stuff, like raising goats for, for economy too. They can make money raising goats. And I tell the one guy this all the time, like, you need to have goats here. Let's get some goats. He's like, ah, I can't take care of goats. You know, I got too much. like, I'm going to buy goats next time I come down and we're going to fund this and you're going to have goats because it's, it's good protein. You need this meat, you know, and he just laughs at me. And, but you know, the, the, the norm is rice, corn. Well, look at the fallout then. it's, it's high blood sugar, you know, high blood pressure, um, diabetes. It's, it's killing people unnecessarily. And the water's dirty. It's cheaper. It's the same price to get Coca-Cola as it is clean water. Yeah. And there's water running through the property. So we need to change that. And that's what 
that's what like gives me inspiration to work with these guys and they can help change that and build into the lives and give them a better future, you know? Yeah. And the other, the another cool thing they're doing from an environmental, uh, uh, standpoint is these oceans there are amazing. I've been to a lot of reefs in Southeast Asia and, uh, Caribbean and, there's some beautiful places, but the reefs off the shore, um, 30 minute boat ride, um, are amazing. There's, and, and so the people we're working with down there are teaching these kids and young adults how to take care of the land. Like don't dump stuff out in the ocean. If you have trash, take care of it. Right. Well, you know, it's easy to say that cause I've been out to those reefs cost me 10 bucks like a fisherman took us out these kids have never been there right they've people have lived there their whole life and they've never been out there yeah so if they haven't experienced it how are they gonna why would they care about not dumping sewage or whatever out in the ocean Mm. like that's easy low-hanging fruit that we can change right you know so like sponsor a kid today to go to a reef you know yeah like seriously like it sounds stupid or you know, whatever, but like, if you were to teach these kids about the environment this way that the people working down there are doing, that's part of the program. I was down there. I was like, we need to be taking these kids out to these reefs so they know how to take care of their land here. It's because the reefs are dying because of not necessarily their trash. It's mostly because of <laughs> us buying stuff the at Walmart. The industrial world. <laughs> <laughs> It's because of, you know, 30 million people living in Manila with air conditioners on, you know, but um, I'm sure it has something to do with that. I don't know. Who knows? Well, yeah. So investing in this couple that we're working with down there is, um, you know, massive impact. Yeah. That's an awesome thing that I've noticed is like, you know, I mean, the budget is so small for what you guys do and like the impact that you have. I mean, it's just like, you know, you have a lot of donors giving like small amounts of money a month and just what that does down there and yeah, just how efficient you've been able to be going down there and like connecting people with resources. And, um, it's, it's awesome. Mm. You know, it doesn't have to be like this giant, million dollar project like you hear about you know um it can be small amounts of money and going down there and inspiring people and just helping people and you know it's not a top-down thing too it's not like you're going in and like swooping in and you know being the savior like ultimately there are locals down there that are doing the work you know and right just kind of going down and supporting them exactly you know and there's a time and a place to be in these places like we lived for not quite a year in the Philippines when we thought we were going to go to Africa, 2013, that typhoon hit, um, and it devastated Takwoban. 10,000 people went dead or missed. It was very tragic. And we went with another NGO and, and served alongside. And I, and I learned a lot. I learned that working with leaders that had vision and mission for these cities and change was more beneficial than just a bunch of Westerners, which is nothing wrong with that most time. But like, we got a lot more done with not much money. And I had friends with big NGOs, the biggest ones out there. So many layers of red tape and bureaucracy, donor intent, go on, you know, on and on. And they're spinning their wheels. They were there for two years and they got not much done compared to what we got done. And it wasn't because of we got, it was because the right leaders got built into and there was, um, and and then, and then since we've left, those same leaders have continued the work. Yeah. So for people that don't know about that, I mean, talk about Tacloban, you went to the Philippines and essentially renovated or built a community Both. center a medical, a medical center yeah and yeah we had this there's a church that meets there and it's a medical center medical and it's tutoring you know, uh, sustained by locals that right 
Yep. Um, and, and the tutoring program has actually taken off. I don't know if it's tutoring, after school, like education, getting kids to pass their high school proficiency exam. There's a program there that's being housed at the center. And it's gotten so, like, very well recognized. Um, they've started to see a need for a school. And that was one of our goals all along, is how can there be a school there? The original plans had room for a school. <laughs> and then uh, I, was, I was at a rotary meeting um, that, I don't know, somehow I was, at a, I was at a wedding for somebody. We were the only Americans at it. It was amazing. My buddy Mark's family invited us and somehow sniffed out that there was, um, we, we were like a family of wedding crashes. So we got seated at like a head table. Never met the girl getting married. It's my buddy's sister. So awesome. (laughs) And because we were white with blonde hair, they shuffled us. I was like, no, we can't. No, we sat at like next to the head table. And then I think Nicole and I won like some kissing contest. It was, oh my gosh. I'm serious. Yeah, we got chosen. we want you had to kiss for a contest she had to put lipstick on and see no yeah and she had to see how was it no i had to put lipstick on he wore a white t-shirt and i had to see how many lip marks i could get in a minute (laughs) that must be a a filipino thing because like katie and my wife used to do wedding photography and she yeah and we went to a wedding with a filipino was a bride and um they did like a bizarre thing where she would pass an egg like uh-uh. up his pant leg. No. And then down the other side and they had another, they had all these like crazy wedding games. And oh there, yeah. And there was another one where she, the bride was blindfolded and she had to feel like the no. ass of every, of <laughs> everybody in the wedding party and figure out which one was the groom. <laughs> and of course she got it right. Like she was like, no. yeah, that's the one. No way. Yeah, so, oh, so. this shame. You know, boatloads of thing yeah. about Filipino culture. Maybe not a lot of people. No, know. they are rated the most fun, happy people group in the world, and <laughs> I am a believer. Who does that rating system? <laughs> I don't. I, I don't know. They're a hundred million strong, so they might be doing their own. But yeah, so you wonder why I always want to go to other countries. You know, it's, it's amazing. Like that kind of stuff. You can't make that up. <laughs> so on the on that contest though, so they you know Nicole puts his T-shirt on. And then I grab her by her shoulders and I'm like, ready to go. And she's just like, no, and turns around. (laughs) She's like, on my back. (laughs) Yeah, so um, we won, we we won that. Oh yeah, it was was hilarious. So I I was hanging out with the father of of the bride and he invites me, we're up at the bar, he invites me to a rotary meeting. So I went, and we're ready to de- just demo this building that was on site that we were going to build this new structure on. This community center. Yeah, that we, we had been given approval by the city to, like, demo it, do, you know, start our work. And, and like, seriously, the day before we were going to demo, I'm pretty sure it was the day before. If not, it's a much better story if it is the day before. We, I go to this rotary lunch, and, I'm, and the guy that invites me doesn't show up. Mark's dad doesn't show up. He got sick. But he calls a friend and says, hey, this gringo, Josh, is going to show up. And, um, and, and so be nice to him. So the guy sits with me, and he starts asking me about our project. And he's just like, um, you ought to come to my office afterwards. And I was like, why? What's the problem? He goes, you don't demo your building yet. I was like, what are you talking about? So I, I, I go to the guy's office afterwards, and he's a contract worker with the city. He unrolls this map, and he's like, you see this? It's a seawall going right through your property. And it's on your, the books. Your property was right on the coast. Right they, on the and, coast. And they were basically going to build a seawall. Right, like, through, right it. through it. So. Right through our new and, building. And you guys had gone, had like traveled overseas, brought picked up your whole family from yeah. Fort Collins yeah. to travel to the Philippines to build this community center. Yeah. And at a wedding, 
you are told (laughs) (laughs) secondhand information that they're building a seawall and you can't and you shouldn't do this project. So I immediately call Zuriel, my guy I'm working with. I'm like, you got to come down. Luckily, he was in town. He was was back and forth from Manila. And and so we we sit down. I was just like, I was devastated. You know, we had we had engineering students and architect students from Cal Poly designing this building. Seawall, not in the, we never knew. I mean, it wasn't. The Japanese, there's a Japanese government, it's called JICA. It was a Japanese um, non-profit, I don't know what the heck it was, what, what you call it. Anyway, they were funding it. Okay. And that was their contribution to this, to this area after the storm happened. And this is a big deal. I mean, the 30-foot wave, the third wave that came through that really uh, devastated the area. Uh, and lives was it was 30 feet so they needed to do something and it's you know um because it's it's gonna happen you know there's not gonna like they're not immune to it happening again <laughs> you know so right. um this and this okay so a seawall we're talking um like 30 feet wide they were gonna build a bike path on top of it it was like a trapezoid wow so it wasn't like, oh, we're going to build this little wall along here. You know, it's not like, you know, other walls that are on the books. But this is like a wall to protect. And they're going to build a bike path on top. I don't even know if anybody bikes there, but I never saw anybody. Um, so it made us scramble and, and switch gears. So what we did, and actually looking back, it was a really good thing because cultural sensitivity, once again, is a massive issue. Like if we would have built this massive, beautiful, shiny building which was really cool thanks to carly altoff um who's now designing stuff in kigali like it was an amazing building she spent time over there researching the culture and how to make this building amazing fit in with yeah yeah, yeah. And it was and she's be, with journeyman she's with journeyman international. international who did all the design work and then they sent a, uh, a guy named ethan pepper over who was a um, construction management student he lived with us and helped us run the show um, really cool collaborative. Um, but she's now living in uh, Rwanda and she's working on some stuff that with some guys I know up in Misanze, like crazy connection. Um, but they put a lot of time into this. Like this is like going to be an amazing building. But looking back, like, so there was an existing building. So we took that, got rid of parts of it, opened it up. So if there was another storm surge, water could go in, water could go out, beef the whole thing up. Ollie would dig like a meter and a half deep into holes and guys would 